Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back once again to another edition of the Come Out of Her My People show. I am your host, Mark Call. We're going to talk today about some things that are a bit different than what we sometimes do, because um, I'm going to suggest to you this show is entitled The Fix. Now, not that The Fix is in, I think everybody already knows that, but that it's pervasive. And how pervasive is it? More importantly, what does that mean, and what do we need to be aware of as we recognize so many things coming to a head? Now, as I thought about this show, and I realized that uh, there's a place in specific that I want to go, but we need to get there uh, with some elements that are probably a bit more familiar, then I'll talk about some things where maybe it wasn't quite as clear why the fix is important and the fact that it's in and that we need to recognize it uh, could be a matter of life and death. But let's start with this piece. This is one of the things that uh, entitled that uh, that suggested the title anyway, a uh, piece from Matt Taibbi. Now, you know, he is, in fact, a... Um, uh, a left-leaning actual journalist, and I've appreciated the fact that the guy has uh, uh, a lot of integrity, and he, uh, even though he has his own political views, is not afraid to come right out and uh, speak the facts. And this is a primary example of that. It was picked up by Zero Hedge well, as well, and it was called, um, Is the Electoral Fix Already In? And the answer, yeah, it's in, to protect democracy, he says. Democracy is already being canceled. We just haven't admitted the implications of this to ourselves yet. Now, what's interesting, again, are some of the facts that he lays out. Not that we haven't heard most of these, but uh, I do enjoy to see a, a liberal connect the dots and then point out uh, why this is so important. On Sunday, January 14th this year, he says, NBC News ran an eye-catching story. Fears grow that Trump will use the military in dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. Achtung, we must prevent that by any means necessary. The story described a, quote, loose-knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers that is quietly making plans. Uh, if these were Republicans, it'd be called a conspiracy to foil any efforts to expand presidential power. Not on the part of the puppet that happens to be senile besides, no, on the part of Donald Trump. So it's okay when a, uh, when a Chinese communist puppet dictator uses powers that are dictatorial, but, um, and, and even destroys the military at, in, in toto, but they can't have Trump do it. Uh, and the piece quotes an array of higher, uh, ranking officials, all insisting Trump will misuse the DOD to execute his civilian political aims. And, of course, the point here is no. Uh, when, a, when even a leftist can see that's precisely what they've been doing, and, of course, this is a Hitlerian strategy, and it's a communist strategy, and it's a strategy that, been, that dates back a lot further than the, model, the modern political isms. It simply is accuse your enemy of things that you are, in fact, not only doing, but intending to do, too. For over a year, says the piece, a little further down, the Biden Fuhrer, and he didn't put it that way, but I will, and his surrogates have dropped hint after hint that the plan for winning this year, 2024, against Trump or anyone else, might involve something other than voting. Now, isn't this funny? The leftist notes that, um, yeah, they talk about protecting democracy uh, by what? By destroying even the concept of voting. 
Lawsuits in multiple states have been filed to remove Trump from the ballot. Primaries have been canceled or invalidated. An ominous Washington Post editorial by Robert Kagan, husband to the infamous Victoria Newland, read like an APB to assassins. Yeah, come and kill this guy because it's an inevitable Trump dictatorship and you might help us stop it and so forth. Um, and then, and then he quotes a, an article that was um, that was put out by some of the uh, well-connected leftists here. Through every channel we have, to the donors, to their friends, the press, everyone, everyone, we all should send the message. If you have so much as one fingernail clipping of a skeleton in your closet, we'll find it. This is basically saying, don't you dare think about cutting um, a third-party ticket or doing any, anything that would undermine our plans. Uh, and so forth. Um, we don't have to. Oh, and then there was this. This this piece it says offered a rare glimpse into the Zoom politics culture that dominates the Beltway, the swamp, since the arrival of COVID-19. And if this is how the insiders in the Beltway talk about how to keep a Joe Lieberman, an infamous leftist, or a Ben Chavez out of politics, imagine what they say about Trump. We don't have to imagine. That's the point. Three and a half years ago, says Taibbi, June and July 2020, an almost exactly similar series of features to this recent NBC story began appearing in the media, describing still another, they use the same, net, the same terms, loose network of bipartisan officials who quietly war-gamed scenarios in case, quote, Trump loses and insists he won. As the WAPO put it, and he refers to this thing called the TIP, or Transition Integrity Project, which is about as big of a whopper of a lie as you'll find, where roughly 100 former uh, leftist officials, think tankers, and journalists gathered to war game scenarios about how they would react uh, when... When Trump realized that the election had been stolen, uh, how, however it came out. And there is page after page about this. Tip, he says, was hyped like a rollout of a blockbuster horror flick. In a second Trump term, no one will hear you scream. There were stories in all the usual suspects, NPR, the Financial Times, the Atlantic, the WAPO. Over a dozen major news outlets all outlined apocalyptic predictions about Trump's unwillingness to leave office. And uh, isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, the, the point here, and I won't go through all of the details. There's about 10 pages worth of them in here. But essentially, he says, uh, tip just read like a blueprint for what they intended to do. And he says, the real question, if you read this thing, is not uh, did the leftists leave democracy, but the key question, who abandoned democracy first? Well, tip provides an answer. It had long lists of theoretical Trump abuses that sound suspiciously exactly like the extra-legal maneuvers that had already been deployed against Trump dating back to the mid-2016 time frame, particularly during the failed effort to prosecute him for, you know it, right, Russia, Russia, Russia collusion. It was a literal plan to overturn a Trump victory. And in other words, he said, now this, remember, this is a leftist actual journalist, says, in other words, tip read like a Team Clinton playbook, only with the hero and villain reversed. So um, there's a whole lot of stuff here. You know, you heard expressions like the pot calling the kettle black and so forth. Um, you have um, Trump opponents launching investigations really without interruption ever since the election in 2016 didn't go as it was rigged to. And um, especially the Frankensteinian hush money prosecution that we've seen of late, obviously politicized. Uh, this was a textbook example, tip, he says, of using manufactured rumors from intelligence agency to cast doubt on any election results you'll find. 
over and over again, it makes the same point. Um, and, you know, not to say that these bureaucracies, the FBI, ATF, you name it, couldn't be abused by a second Trump administration. That is, of course, if he got rid of all the people who have been uh, abusing him. But so far, they have been a nearly exclusive fixation of Democrat politicians and security as officials. So, uh, and furthermore, he says this, this may be the most amazing line in the whole tip report. Given that the entire Trump presidency was marked by stories like how Russia helped swing the election, how Russia helped swing the election uh, from Wired and from the New Yorker, Russia turned election for Trump, PBS, yes, Bloomberg says election sabotage helped Trump win Russia, Russia, Russia. Here is what Tip said, quote, there's considerable room to use foreign interference, real or invented, as a pretext to cast doubt on the election results or, more generally, to create uncertainty about the legitimacy of the election. Again, folks, this is precisely what's been going on. Uh, he goes on to describe any number of things. We recognize how they're using litigation, like Colorado, like Maine, to remove Trump from the ballot. The elites, says the piece, uh, and uh, Taibbi, is, have lost faith in representative democracy and even quotes their very own publication. Um, to smash the nightmare image of themselves that Trump evokes. They're willing to twist and force our system till it breaks. And uh, this, is, um, this is clear. Here's a quote. To save democracy, it must be modified by the possessive. Our democracy. And it doesn't help that the Biden Fuhrer is in poll freefall, so he's put all of his rhetorical chips on the theme of protecting democracy. Biden mentions Trump's assault on democracy. It's a quote. Every single time he gets a chance. And he's recently even resorted to Apollo Creed-style imagery uh, and American flags in red, white, and blue. He's missing only the red, white, and blue trunks. So it's funny, and he um, he basically comes out and says what most of us have seen. But again, part of the point here is that uh, the fix is so in that we're seeing people who years ago would have had difficulty recognizing how bad it's gotten, finally saying, "I've had enough. This is this is beyond the pale." Now, here is his conclusion. Now, this is the reason why I read most of the piece, because it is really important, and it sets up the rest of the things we want to talk about today. Many who couldn't stand Trump and arguably that would include this author, would never vote for him and have been willing consumers of the awesome amount of propaganda published on the subject of Trump now need to face the fact that uh, they've been had. Transformed into the avatar of everything bad, Trump is a crude domestic combo platter of Saddam, Milosevic, Assad, and Putin, the ultimate uber-villain. Trump has been used to distract mass audiences from the erosion of norms at home. Protecting democracy in the name of Trump or preventing Trump will be remembered as having served the same purpose as uh, Saddam's mythical WMDs or the shots fired in the Gulf of Tonkin or, uh, you know, so on and so forth. All of these carefully crafted political lies used to rally the public behind illegal campaigns of preemption. Voters, he says, by attempting to, quote, protect democracy, well, they're being duped. A politician who claims to be doing the job for us is up to something, and the current White House is trying to steal for themselves a word that belongs to you. And I think he means democracy. Guess what, folks? This is the one thing he misses the boat on. We were never supposed to have a democracy, as every listener here knows. Uh, the word does not appear in the Constitution, doesn't appear in the Bill of Rights, doesn't appear in the Declaration. And it, However, it does appear in the Federalist Papers as something that the founders said, we sure as hell don't want that. So uh, don't let them. 
Well, he is making the point, even though he misses the point about democracy, but at least the fix is in, is clear. Now, from there, I want to go to um, the latest element of the um, the big fix, and that has to do with what's going on on the border. You'll hear a lot of questions. Um, a guy that I have uh, very little trust in, Governor Abbott of Texas, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Does it matter? So with, with that in mind, a couple of comments from Tom Luongo about what he called soft secession, insurrection, or is it the real return of federalism in Texas? And he notes that um, this, year's, um, this year shows itself to be something, you know, one for the record books, the fourth turning and so forth. We saw the beginnings of some of this meltdown last year and some of the reaction to it that might actually be a positive thing with the president or the premier of Alberta in Canada, Danielle Smith who declared she would not be collecting carbon taxes, the bogus, idiotic uh, climate change BS, to send to Ottawa to fund, fund the uh, dreams of destroying that country. Smith is in the news again. She's f- pledged to further defy Ottawa, uh, in other words, the swamp of the north, by announcing Alberta would be looking to double its oil and gas production. She said so in an event with Tucker Carlson in Edmonton. And this is a big deal, he said. Smith isn't the only one here. Uh, Saskatchewan's Scott Moe is following her lead on carbon taxes. So not everyone is a leader, is the point, like Smith clearly is. Some are simply followers, and they only make their move when someone else sticks out their neck and uh, finds out whether or not it will get chopped off. So he makes the point and, uh, and illustrates this with some more examples. But ultimately, he says this is how the Russian or the American Revolution started, in pubs and in meeting halls and in churches. Businessmen had been turned into smugglers. Farmers were turned into sharecroppers. And that eventually put a critical mass into the same room, hatching a plan to overthrow the absentee landlord of a king. And now we're starting to see this in the West. So there's the good news. Uh, the question, right, the, the fix, is it in? Do we need to understand the fix? And I think that's the bigger point. Well, he says, take a look. Remember, uh, a lot of the credit for this goes to France and the uh, Gilets Jaunes. I probably butchered that, uh, a.k.a. the Yellow Vest. Remember them? When they left the headlines, and it wasn't too long, but certainly uh, there was a lot of embarrassment for Macron and the, the French socialist government, they never really went away. France has been in a continuing state of role protest against Macron ever since. So we can draw a line straight from the yellow vest to the Canadian truckers, remember them, to the Dutch farmers, to Danielle Smith, to the new situation on the Texas border, which is clearly spiraling out of control, but it could be either a very bad thing or a very good thing. Uh, Abbott's letter to the Biden Fuhrer declaring that they were in violation of the Constitution because they were stopping Texas from doing what they have every right to do, securing the border, is a major escalation. The states have had it. For too long, the um, benefits of... uh, you know, sucking up to the feds because of the benefits of redistributing tax money. In other words, what the what the Fed would do is they would take income taxes and say, if you're a good little state, if you tow the line, we'll give you a little bit of what we stole from your people right back to you. Aren't we nice? But now the costs of that uh, outweigh the benefits for those that have higher aspirations. Governors of big states uh, have almost always been presidential hopefuls one way or another. But there comes a point where the situation in D.C., uh, perhaps like now, is so predatory, so openly anathema to the health of the entire country, 
that those aspirations have almost zero future value. In other words, who wants to be president of a country that's being torn apart and destroyed? There'll be nothing left for the guy after Biden. So um, really, uh, you know, if you're not immediately there thinking you might save it, and that's a long shot, well, what value does it have? That's where Greg Abbott found himself, says uh, um, Tom Luongo. With their open border policies, whose obvious purpose was to invite the world to um, tilt the 24 uh, election in favor of the communists. And, of course, by that he says, I mean Davos, whose agenda the Biden Fuhrer and his puppet masters are clearly advancing. All right, here is the key. Um, this whole thing down in Texas has a clearly manufactured feel to it. I, I don't think he is alone in, in seeing that. Are they setting something up? The uh, convoy of truckers, all right, are they going to be set up? Do we have agent provocateurs? Well, the good news is the uh, organizers know that, and they're watching for it. The bad news is the people who have been planning this, and I, I mean by that the FBI and the various letter agencies, have probably got more experience with pushing color revolutions and overturning other governments than uh, these organizers could imagine. So that's essentially where the battle lines are being drawn. There is no great reset, he says, without a, without a dysfunctional United States. If the U.S. isn't destroyed, they can't pull it off. And they also, of course, need to disarm the Americans. And that, he says, is why Abbott's move is so important. It's not about the politicians in D.C. It's about awakening the proles across the country. Understand, uh, we don't live in a democracy. And um, the question is, um, will or will not the Biden Fuhrer declare Texas to be in a state of insurrection against the new communist regime? And is it possible, and I'm seeing more and more people noticing this is a possibility, that they may just decide to uh, throw away Texas electoral votes if they can't turn the state blue with Soros's perversions? Why not? Who's going to call them out on it? If Texas refuses to turn blue... What happens with the escalation framework? So here we go. If Texas is sincere, if there are actually people there that are intent about them pushing this thing and not just uh, doing it for show like Abbott might be, and then securing the border too, oh, that'll take real troops. That'll take some major escalation because as it stands now, even while there's a lot of hoo-ha about what's going on in Eagle Pass, the truth is there are still 10,000-plus a day coming in across the other 900-plus-plus-plus uh, miles of open and unsecured border, Arizona, New Mexico, you name it, and most of Texas still. And what does that mean? Well, if the FedGov is really controlling both sides of this conflict, uh, that means that uh, we're given um, every reason to expect every ridiculous escalation you can imagine. And I think that's the real threat. I talked about that on the show last week, so I won't belabor that, but I want to throw that again on the table because as we think about some of the other things that are going on here, uh, I want to point to uh, two or three elements of the fix that – Maybe we don't think about enough. And one of them, uh, obviously, is uh, the uh, idea of disarming Americans. But um, with, with that, here are two stories that probably haven't gotten the, uh, the coverage they deserve. One comes from uh, Natural News about what's called the Gun Violence Archive. Right there you know the name uh, is, um, is politically correct. But it's a statistical source that the, uh, the left has called the go-to source. And they have been caught rigging their numbers by recording non-violent incidents and then calling it gun violence. 
A recent report from thetruthaboutguns.com disclosed the deception, adding this was done to get support from, oh, guess what, anti-gun politicians and activists. It also noted that non-violent incidents have been put into the gun violence category within the website's uh, demarcations, including school shootings. Now listen to this. In reality, the number of real casualties in these new uh, elements of these statistics were zero. There's an incident in Texas in the category called school shooting where nobody was shot. The gun in question was found in a vehicle accidentally. Why? Because a student evidently drove his parents' car to school, didn't even know there was a firearm in the vehicle, which triggered concerns on just how many such incidents could be considered or called school shootings that have nothing to do with anybody actually being shot or even wounded, but they still call them gun violence. Another occurrence listed on the website was an unloaded gun found in a locked bag. And there was ammunition somewhere nearby. Ooh, booga, booga, booga. The situation is hardly unique. The RAND survey, a RAND survey discovered that of over 27,900 so-called gun control studies or incidents or uh, claims, only 123 stood up to actual rigorous scientific scrutiny. And um, ultimately, there is so much more on this front. Uh, in California, of course, there is a new law that went into effect this month. Uh, not really a law, of course, because it's invalid constitutionally, but that doesn't mean they won't try to claim it. Uh, even people who have been good little slaves and asked for Big Brother's commission, they got their permits, they got concealed carry permits, they're no longer allowed to carry firearms in, well, about anywhere. Amusement parks, museums, churches, schools, zoos, banks, public parks, and any place else you can think of. Um, the legislation is being challenged in the courts, but guess what? A federal appeals court said, huh, we're going to enforce it anyway until uh, somebody else dismisses it completely. Uh, a, um, a leftist rag, all things considered, and their host interviewed a UCLA law professor who said that essentially um, when you add up all the different places that are deemed sensitive, effectively, it's a, it's impossible for someone who has a permit to carry firearms to, to bring their guns anywhere. So that is part of it. Let me, let me throw out one more element that, um, cause, cause if you can't steal people's guns, that was a plan for a long time. You know, uh, turn them in, as various leftist politicians said, and, you know, California senators, Diane Feinswein and so forth. Well, what, what else can we do? We can outlaw ammunition. We can turn them into clubs. We can uh, declare little pieces of plastic to be something that uh, suddenly makes a gun a machine gun, and therefore you peons can't have it. Now, Big Brother can kill you with it, but uh, it's, no, it's not allowed for you to have it. Something as innocuous as a uh, suppressor that lets people save their hearing while practicing. Oh, that is verboten. You can't have it. Now, in... Um, in Missouri, there is a, uh, a relatively new but not surprising attack on the ammunition supplies. Of course, they want to make sure that every round can be tracked. They want to put taxes on there to the point where already uh, used to be that a uh, 22 round for plinking and for practicing to teach kids to shoot used to cost about a penny a round. Then it was two cents a round. Now... It's a um, 20 or 30 cents around, depending upon how big a quantity you buy and where you get it. Essentially, what they're doing is they're pricing people out of not only being able to defend themselves, but even to practice or train or teach their kids how to use firearms. 
And that's part of the equation here. In Missouri, the um, Biden-Fuhrer regime is trying to end uh, one of the biggest ammunition manufacturers in the United States. Well, at least end their ability to provide ammunition to the peons. And as a result, the Attorney General of Missouri has written a letter. Uh, this is Andrew Bailey of Missouri, signed also by Brenna Bird of Iowa and Todd Rokita of Indiana, as well as 25 other attorneys general, warning that ending sales at this particular place called Lake City Ammunition would harm America's military readiness, national security, and, of course, do nothing to prevent crime. Well, tell me something we don't know. The uh, letter describes a missive written by the usual leftist AGs. Would it surprise you to learn that Letitia James of New York is one of them? That says that the Lake City plant in Missouri floods communities with military-grade ammunition, and it's been used in a number of mass shootings. So booga booga, the horror, the bullets used, you slaves can't have them. Said the Missouri Attorney General Bailey on his website, I will not let Joe Biden sacrifice the rights of law-abiding gun owners and manufacturers on the altar of appeasement of the radical left. These Attorney Generals here are basically standing up for the constitutional rights that were once protected by people who put their hand on a Bible and meant what they said. No more. But at least there are a few that are pointing out that, yeah, the fix is not only in, but it's very pervasive. We should have realized it a long time ago, but we had better be paying attention now. That takes us to the break. We'll be right back. This is the Come Out of Her, My People show, and I'm talking today about the fix. Again, not necessarily that the fix is in. We knew that, but that the fix is so pervasive, and it is also going to be implemented in ways that we need to be paying closer attention to. As we went to break, I was talking about a piece that represents one aspect of that, not just that we know that the Biden Fuhrer and everybody else who hates the very concept of God-given, once constitutionally protected rights, like the right to freedom of assembly, worship, to... Uh, keep and bear arms, and, and so many other things that are essentially nothing, uh, well, they're just gone at this point. But it's the how that's interesting, the how the fix is in. So it's not just taking people's guns away and declaring them to be verboten, uh, but it's about getting rid of their ability to uh, to shoot something. Of course, a gun without a, a bullet in it is nothing but a club or a, uh, something you can throw at the enemy, but you can't do much more than that. So the story here had to do with a uh, one of the biggest manufacturers of ammunition in the world, certainly um, one of the primary suppliers. They have been supplying all of the ammunition for the U.S. military and every armed 
conflict since World War II, Lake City Ammo in Independence, Missouri. Now, the numbers are fascinating. This place is over 3,000 acres, 408 buildings, and they're capable of producing, uh, although guess what? The regime doesn't want this, uh, 1.6 billion rounds per year. Military gets a lot, and once upon a time, civilians did too, and they used it to practice and so forth. And, uh, of course, the attorney generals here, the primarily the one in Missouri, wrote this letter and is pointing out uh, how uh, not only harmful this is to the population, but it would harm national security as well. They don't care about any of that. The real issue is destroying the ability of the country to defend itself, whether it's the military or especially the people that are uh, intended to be either dead or slaves. Now, what's fascinating is if you go back look at, look at the history of the country, and a lot of folks aren't aware of this, especially if they have been uh, uh, <laughs> dumbed down over the last few decades. During the uh, most of the history of this country, the idea of civilian marksmanship was a big deal. As a matter of fact, there was actually something called the DCM program, the Department of Civilian Marksmanship. And it was associated with the idea that an armed militia, an armed citizenry is key to defending the country and the Bill of Rights and all of the things that we once held dear. So um, there was a time, and I can remember um, uh, people that I knew going out and doing this, if you demonstrated certain competences and you went out and applied for it, and um, there was a shooting test and so forth, I forget all the details of how it worked, but the DCM, the Department of Civilian Marksmanship, would award somebody with a nice, get this, military-style firearm. Uh, in, in particular, one of the ones I remember a lot of folks got was an M1 Garand, a World War II rifle. The, uh, the country had many, many, many of those surplus, and they wanted to put them into civilian hands. Likewise, they used to do the same thing with surplus rounds and with surplus brass that um, private citizens could reload. And um, they also did that with things like MREs and things that private citizens could buy if the military didn't end up using them and they decided to get rid of them. Uh, they would just sell them on the military surplus market. And it was a great way for people that couldn't afford food or that wanted to prepare to have something that they could save and use. Well, guess what happened a few years back? They ended the DCM for all practical purposes. They got rid of the idea of selling brass or uh surplus ammunition to the American peons, better to bury it, better than uh, to, dis to destroy it, to crush it. So they spend tax dollars to make it. They could get some of that money back by selling it to civilians, but Octung, we don't want to do that. Them civilians might actually defend their country with it. So we'll spend more tax dollars to destroy it. And besides which, we love putting stuff in landfills anyway. And they were doing that with food, folks. Rather than letting civilians have surplus a military food that they were getting ready to throw away anyway, they buried it. You talk about a disgusting misuse. This is where we're at. So I mentioned this as part of the fix because think about it this way. Um, there are still ammunition importers. I don't know what the status is uh, of late, but it used to be you could buy surplus ammunition from, uh, well, communist China, made by Norinco and others. There's Russian ammunition on the market and so forth. Uh, there won't be any American ammunition pretty soon. That's part of the uh, the fix that people really need to be aware of. And um, what I'm going to suggest is if you were, let's say, a uh, an enemy of the United States, I'm not counting the ones that are in Washington or that kowtow to the enemies that are pulling their puppets, strings. But let's suppose you were, I uh, say, a communist China. You wanted to destroy the country and you wanted to fix things. Well, that's where I want to go for the, the rest of the show, is to point that out. Uh, for example, suppose...
especially if you have your puppets trying to shut down or essentially make the um, Lake City ammo plant off limits for civilians and basically then will uh, we'll make it less competitive or maybe even shut it down completely at some point. They've done this, if you think about the war in Ukraine, with 155-millimeter um, howitzer or uh, uh, mortar shells. What? Let's just blow them all up. Let's just take them over to Ukraine and make sure that when we have a shooting war on the Mexican border with the invaders coming from China and every other country in the world that knows what's happening, that we don't have any ammo to use. Oh, Lake City likewise. How about this? How about if you had to rely on foreign suppliers for ammunition? Um, the foreign supplier just has crappy quality control. There's some duds in there every now and then, and the duds maybe jam the mechanism. You know what can happen, basically, when you jam something that somebody needs to try to prevent a, uh, an invader from taking out their position? Well, that may be enough to kill them. So a, um, even a fraction of an increase, uh, a fraction of a percent increase in the dud rate can cause huge problems. And I guarantee you, uh, military planners, if we still had any of those in this country, but certainly the communist Chinese and others who would be enemies are very well aware of that. And um, don't think for a second it isn't part of the planning. And, and again, that also includes those who are trying to do this evil deed and prevent Americans from being able to defend themselves. All right. Now, there is another element of this as well. I mentioned the military. And not only do we have the dumbing down and the Zyklon B injections and uh, making them wear high heels and pretend to be pregnant and all that kind of stuff rather than learning how to what? Shoot and uh, run military equipment or sail ships. Uh, that's trivial stuff, right? We have a politically correct agenda here. Here that is really driving the military nowadays. Well, there's another element, too, because the U.S. military used to be really, really clear that they didn't want to source materials or chips or ammunition or anything else that represented vital national security supplies from overseers, from overseas. They wanted to have domestic sources that could be counted on if we really needed them in a war. Well, they've amazingly turned their back on all of that. And not only that, but we have a military that is completely dependent in so many ways on not only foreign suppliers of things like, um, well, military equipment, but also rare earth minerals, things like lithium and, and lanthanum and um, the molybdenum and metals that are used for um, uh, magnets and, and you name it. So all of these things essentially, and this story is not new, it's old, have, had been um, – taken over by the communist Chinese to the point where the military, even as they're pushing for World War III, is hideously exposed to a possible problem. Now, with that in mind, I want to turn to one other thing. And this is actually the story that got me thinking about this. And originally I was talking about thinking about communist corruption and um, how that has played out in the economy. And, and I want to mention something specific. So I'm going to begin with a uh, kind of a story. I'll tell it as an engineer because this is something that uh, I have been thinking about and watching and seeing develop for a number of years now. Uh, as you know, your host is uh, off-grid, and we have a completely solar-based system. There's a little bit of wind power and so forth, too. But there's not a power line within a long ways from here. I'm happy about that because I don't like the idea of being exposed to EMP. There are some things you can do to try to protect against it. But ultimately, if, if the power grid goes down and you're relying on it, you're in a whole heap of trouble. So it's better to have your own uh, alternatives, better to have um, multiple sources, in other words, to have multiple pieces of equipment so they have backups and all that kind of stuff. turns out, though, that when you look at solar systems and ask how difficult is it to be off-grid, what is the Achilles heel, uh, anybody you talk to? Anybody you talk to will say, oh, no doubt about it. It's the batteries. How do you store this stuff? How do you get through the night? 
All right, when the sun's shining, you got no problems. And the solar cells have gotten to be uh, very inexpensive. Uh, the kinds of things that you use to charge batteries, the controllers, the electronics, that too has come down in price. So I can provide power for a fraction of uh, dollars per watt, uh, what it used to cost. Well, with one exception. Guess what the most expensive part of putting solar panels on a house or a roof is? You ready for this? The steel that you hold them up with. If you build some racking, as it's called, some brackets, that usually ends up costing as much or more than the solar panels. Wow. Uh, because of Biden inflation. But so here's the point. The the Achilles heel of the system is the batteries. Now, for years, the only real available batteries, this is probably what 90%, I haven't looked at the statistics, but of the uh, the solar systems out there use is um, lead-acid batteries. Same uh, disgusting old technology that you find in cars. Uh, not the kind of cars that the Biden fuel wants to force you to drive. No, that's different. Those are the ones that crash and burn and explode. But the lead-acid batteries that everybody remembers from the uh, 64 Mustangs and so forth. turns out that the almost same technology was, is used in, in many, many solar houses and so forth. Well, there are some other options. I didn't like the, uh, the lead-acid battery. They're expensive. They don't last very long, even if you take good care of them. And um, you're willing to have your clothes destroyed because the, the acid gets all over things and burns holes in your pants and your shirts and in the, 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 the area around the batteries. Uh, but putting that aside, if they last five years, you've done a pretty good job for the most part. And there's lots of maintenance associated with them. Well, there was a technology that it turned out was available over a 100 years ago, invented by Thomas Edison. It's called the nickel-iron battery, or uh, the chemical symbol, right, N-I-F-E. So you'll see that. And it turns out that it was used by railroads and a lot of other places. Uh, at one point, they were in submarines even because these batteries were very reliable. There are Thomas Edison original nickel-iron batteries that have been around and operating, uh, certainly with some maintenance, for 50 or 100 years. Now, that was really appealing to me. Initially, because nickel is a bit more expensive than uh, lead or um, some of the other things that uh, make up the, uh, the old-fashioned batteries, those were more expensive. But when you actually figured all the other benefits in, it came out that, uh, as an engineer, I went through the calculations, uh, nickel iron was, uh, to my mind, a lot more impressive. Now, guess what? used to be they were made in a free country all over the place. There were several major manufacturers. And when I was looking originally and, and studying this, turns out there were none, literally zero. And there was one company that was trying to get startup money together to take old Edison batteries and recondition them, refurb them, and sell them. Uh, well, that didn't work out so well. The company ended up going belly up. And then it turns out... You want to guess? Where's the only place on planet Earth for so many years where you could buy a nickel-iron battery? If you want to say communist China, you're right. And so, uh, as it turns out, I found a company in Denver, and um, they were called um, Iron Edison, and they, they made, well, they didn't make them, they bought the nickel-iron batteries from a communist Chinese company and imported them. Now, here's the problem. This is why I talk about the fix, and this is the thing I want people to understand. Uh, now, talk about nickel, iron, and some of the other competing technologies. Nowadays, you'll hear a lot about the car batteries, right? Let's address that quickly. Uh, lithium ion and various other kinds of things. These in a car, because the car is more um, 
um, sensitive to weight issues and energy density issues. They want something that packs uh, more energy even than a, um, a um, another type of lithium battery into a smaller, lighter package. And guess what? The uh, the chemistry of those t- things tends to make them explode sometimes. They um, they can explode spontaneously and um, extremely um, well spectacularly. So I won't want any of those batteries, won't have any of those batteries in the house. There is another kind of battery that is called a lithium-ion phosphate battery that is um, not quite as compact or high energy density, but also not nearly as explosive. And those are now taking some of the market away from uh, the lead-acid batteries. But the trouble is... To my mind, again, and you know, the fact that I believe this doesn't mean you have to, that's okay. But I was really interested in the nickel iron batteries and believe that if those had been available by an honest American supplier and manufacturer, they would have been something that anybody that had a solar house or desire to would have to look at. Isn't it interesting that they're not available? Period. Now, there may or may not be a change, and I'm, I'm watching that, but for purposes of, of this discussion now, let's just say that would be nice if an American manufacturer came online, but even one, folks, isn't the kind of thing we would have had back when we had an honest free market. But here's the key. The company that was buying these batteries from Communist China, the, um, the company that I dealt with, and they were, they were headquartered here in Denver. I got to know a number of the principals involved, the engineers, the CEO, and, and so forth. It was called Iron Edison, and um, I ended up getting some of these batteries. And for about a year, two years, they worked extremely well. I was very happy with them. And then I discovered there was a problem, and I was one of the first that actually ended up discovering what the problem was, how it manifested itself, and spent a lot of time, therefore, talking with the engineers at the factory and what's going on. Um, the batteries, somehow or other, began to fail. And it turns out when one battery fails, it can destroy the entire system. Not not make it um, uh, explode or anything, like with a uh, lithium battery, but uh, certainly could cause your system to lose efficiency. It wouldn't store energy, and that basically was no good. And I began to see how it was we could find the bad batteries. But guess what? All it takes is a, uh, a fallout rate of, say, 10%. So if you've got 20 batteries and a stack of batteries that are powering your house and one of them goes bad, you got a real problem. That was what happened. One went bad. Well, nope, then another one. Well, wait, wait a minute, then one more. Then another one and another one. And I went back and we tested and checked and saw what was happening. And I won't describe all the mechanisms, but it looks to me. And I finally concluded that um, something was uh, was not right with these communist Chinese versions of the nickel iron battery. I have a suspicion what they were doing was just cutting corners on the plating, that rather than being solid nickel plates, they were probably um, nickel-plated something that wasn't nickel and that there was chemical contamination going on on the inside. Again, I don't know that anybody ever figured out exactly what the problem was, but guess what? The uh, company, uh, Iron Edison, uh, they did the best they could, and they replaced the batteries, and they tried to keep uh, systems like mine going. So I got a whole lot of new batteries. They stood behind their warranty. I, I give them kudos. Eventually, folks, guess what? The company went bankrupt because the quality control sucked. And there's just no simple way to put it. And this is the kind of uh, corruption, and I would say unfaithful breach, because ultimately the company, the communist Chinese manufacturer, didn't suffer. They didn't stand behind their product, and um, things went really bad. I, I have a whole bunch of batteries that I am honestly not sure. Are they going to last 50 years? Well, almost certainly not. Are they going to last five? Whoa. 
If I was a communist Chinese dictator and I wanted to destroy a country and I said to myself, you know, when the power grid goes down because we own that and when all these other bad things happen because we've got that plan and when, of course, the Americans figure out that they don't have ammunition, they don't have shells, they don't have a military anymore, they don't have a president, they don't have a cabinet, they then what are we going to be looking for? We want to come in and, and take over the country. We want to kill every American. They've already made this clear, right? So wouldn't it make sense that if you simply cut corners on things that would have been what you might call vital supplies, things that would last people for many, many years? By the way, you've seen the same thing in, in appliances that used to be called um, you know, durable goods, things that lasted many years. Well, now appliances, people spend hundreds of dollars for a refrigerator or a washer and dryer. It's um, It's scrap in just a fraction of the time that it used to last. You're better off buying an old Maytag that uh, has been around the block for 20 years than some of the new crap that's being sold from communist China. There is a real element here of uh, unfaithful breach and of destruction of things that people will need, especially if they can't get them anymore, that I think we, we cannot afford not to pay attention to. So if I think about that, the battery is, is, is kind of a, a microcosm of that. Because if you were going to be off-grid and you say, okay, I want to be off-grid, uh, the American manufacturers or the uh, European manufacturers of, of lead-acid batteries, you got to buy them every five years anyway. Maybe I can find something that will last 20 years. That was appealing to me. Or, or 50 even. Great. I'm willing to spend a bit more for that. Besides, they have other characteristics that make them desirable, like you can discharge them more. If you discharge a lead-acid battery, you kill it. Uh, more than about half. They are very susceptible to over-discharge. Well, I don't like that. It means I can't use the capacity that's advertised. Bottom line, this alternative that looked really good because the only source was communist corrupt China and they produced crappy products that they were not willing to stand behind. The American importer went belly up as a result. They at least stood behind it while they could, but eventually when the cupboard's bare and they can't get them anymore, and that was the situation um, you know, just before the company collapsed, they literally said, this is back if you remember when the uh, cargo ships were, were stacking up at the, um, at the ports in Long Beach and elsewhere. Can't get them. The batteries just aren't coming. Can't replace them because who knows what's going on. They didn't know. Well, folks, this is the kind of thing I want people to be aware of. This is why I wanted to talk about this during the show today. And um, there are many other similar examples, uh, ammunition being an obvious and a potentially life-saving or life-threatening one when dud levels, when, when rejection rates, when they, when they jam firearms rather than working to protect somebody's life. Those are just one element of, of these things. So much electronics. And, um, you know, we haven't even talked about uh, Hawaii and some of these other companies that were literally putting chips that had backdoors in them, that had access for communist China, for um, producing things that, yep, the military and others, communications, telecom, were relying on. How much vulnerability is there? Well, that was a big story a while back. But remember, the same thing is true of so many other electronic devices. Who knows what's in your phone? Well, I guess you can probably suggest you do know. The Big Brother has put its own back doors in there. Why hasn't Communist China, or have they? You, you don't know. You're not going to be able to tell. I guarantee you the uh, technology is small enough, and uh, there are few enough people that have the skills to find out what's going on in there until it's too late that you're simply not going to be aware of it. So if we uh, if we put all this together, and I and I think about the fix and the things that I encourage people to be thinking about, 
planning for. And I know uh, it's difficult because sometimes the only stuff you can buy, you need some tools. It's cheap communist Chinese crap. And maybe it'll last long enough to do the job you're buying it for, and then you throw it away. Hey, no problem. Well, there's going to come a time when you can't afford to throw it away. You're going to have to make it work. But if it was built crappy to begin with, and you can't make it work, and by the way, they're not selling parts, you're in a world of hurt. So when all of these things come together, remember, the fix is the issue. And it's not just that the fix is in. We know that. It's that the fix is pervasive. So I'm going to encourage people to think about what are the kind of things you need to be aware of uh, looking ahead. Now, I've talked about this on you know any number of shows over the last few years, but I hope this is a different aspect that will start to resonate. Uh, certainly, you need food. You need food that you know where it's been grown or who's grown it and that it hasn't been adulterated with genetically modified frankenfoods or with vaccines or not, mRNA that's been put into it. And, and rest assured, that is going on. Likewise, if you need tools. Remember when good old American made shovels and rakes and pitchforks and implements of destruction would last 20 years as opposed to being junk that you couldn't use. You hit a rock and it's it's trash. So many things, in other words, that you might need to have. Take a look around. Ask yourself, what are the tools that if I really needed this and it broke or I didn't have one, that I'm in a world of hurt? Uh, I remember as a pilot, uh, one of the big issues was uh, aviation safety. There's what's called AN hardware. This is military-grade hardware that we used on my Cessna, for example, that were bolts and nuts that were manufactured to much higher standards and specs with better materials than the kind of crap that you bought at the uh, corner store that was imported from China. Well, it turns out that, yep, the military, too, was imported commun- was importing communist Chinese AN bolts that <laughs> they weren't really AN quality. Bolts. They broke. People died as a result. We're still seeing crashes. Is that why? I guarantee you they're not going to come right out and tell you if it is. They're just going to complain about "Mm, maybe we need to provide ourselves with American suppliers. So when push comes to shove, and it is, understand that there are so many things that it would be good to be able to buy, and it might be hard, but look a little harder. American-made products that you trust, American-made that you know isn't coming from a communist Chinese plant that is, in the, is going to end up uh, crapping out and being worthless immediately after the supply line shut down and you can't buy it replacements. Uh, it starts with the things that are most basic, most simple, good quality steel. Do you have a socket wrench set? Do you have screwdrivers? Do you have tools, uh, shovels, and rakes that you can trust that you're going to need? And then it continues on up from there. Uh, the higher tech it is, the more difficult it's going to be to buy something in a, uh, well, even an American communist regime that hasn't been adulterated and dumbed down and turned into something uh, less useful. Take a look around. Look at some of the things you use most frequently and imagine uh, what would you do if you didn't have one and how long will it last since some things are going to get harder and harder to replace. So think about all this. Understand, as always, that the most important issue is that we know who we serve, but there are a whole lot of elements that are going to be important along the way. And may Yahuwah bless you and yours. 